Hey babe, are you coming to bed? Hey babe, you left your dishes here again. Ah, uh, why is your alarm going off so early again? I can't wait to see you later. Let's invite your mom over for hey, dinner this weekend. Put on the kettle. Babe, we haven't had sex in four months. <laughs> I love you. I love you. This is Rainbow Pajamas, a podcast sharing stories from around the world of long-term LGBTQ plus relationships from five years to more than 50 years. You'll hear personal details from our guests about how they met, what they fight about, their sex lives, to practical matters such as having kids, financial planning and retirement. We'll also discuss controversial topics like exclusive versus open relationships, polyamory and marriage. In this episode, I talked to Doug and Brian, a gay couple who live in a small town in Pennsylvania and have been together for almost 30 years. The couple are from rural farming communities in the US. They met at university in 1989 when Brian was still dating a woman and both men were still living in the closet and learning to accept their sexuality. Doug and Brian's relationship developed in the 90s when the US society was much more homophobic. When they met, there were no gay role models or representation in the media, and gay people were mostly associated with the AIDS epidemic. Despite these challenging circumstances, Doug and Brian eventually came out to the whole communities and became fathers to two daughters via surrogacy. At a time when there were no easily accessible surrogacy agencies, surrogacy contracts, or previous success stories. Now it's time to sit back and listen to Doug and Brian's story of how they accomplished the American dream, complete with white picket fans just the way they wanted as a gay couple. If you find this podcast interesting, please share that with your other LGBTQ friends. We'll also appreciate it if you can leave a review on our podcast platform and share your thoughts with us on Instagram. Our handle is rainbowpajamas underscore. Can you tell uh, our listeners a little bit about your background? Sure, I'll start. Um, I grew up on a small 40-acre farm in western New York State, about an hour south of Rochester, New York. Um, very rural, small community, uh, close-knit uh, community. I still have a lot of friends from my high school days. I went to a state school um, in New York State uh, for college. And then after college, I went to um, Cincinnati, Ohio to Xavier University for graduate school. Um, so that's a little bit about my background. And I have, uh, I'm one of seven siblings in a blended family. Oh, wow. Big um, family. Yeah, exactly. So, what about you, Brian? So, so I'm Brian. Um, I grew up in the state of Ohio, um, in the southwest corner of Ohio, which is a small uh, Midwest town area. Um, also, grew up in a farming community. Um, and then I went off to undergraduate school and got a business degree, and then studied at, at the same university for a graduate degree in healthcare. And from there, I was excited to leave that small town farming community and headed off to the big city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, um, where I met Douglas. Oh, amazing. And where are you guys calling us from now? Well, we, we now live in Berks County, um, Pennsylvania. So that's about an hour outside of Philadelphia, northwest of Philadelphia, near Reading, Pennsylvania. We moved here about 11 years ago um, uh, in coming from Philadelphia. Amazing. And you guys have been dating for almost 30 years with two daughters, right? 
Yeah, so um, it's well beyond dating at this point. <laughs> um, it, uh, we've been together as a couple for, for 30 years. It'll be, it will be 30 years in May. Um, this May that we'll be together as a couple. And we were legally married in 2015, also in May, um, uh, once we could legally get married in the state of Pennsylvania, uh, we, we waited for that. And uh, then we got married and had our daughters in the wedding as part of the wedding. It was great. Oh, amazing. So your daughter, you had your daughters before you guys were married then? We did. We have a, a 20 year old daughter and a 15 year old daughter. Um, oh, wow. Um, but before we even had our daughters, Doug and I, um, when we were planning to have a family, um, surrogacy, um, we actually, we say we eloped in terms of we went to Paris and we actually had rings made and we exchanged uh, 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 basically wedding bands with each other personally back in 2000, year 2000 in Paris. December 2000. Oh, wow. Amazing. So a commitment came way before that. Yes. Yes. And the commitment was, uh, it was, we were at that point talking about having children and, you know, oh, okay. it was like, if we're going to have children, we need a commitment. So put a ring on it. Yeah, I'm so happy to be talking to a couple who has been there, who has been together for 30 years. So yesterday I was having lunch with my friends and I was telling them that, oh, I'm interviewing these couples who have been together, these gay couples who have been together for at least five years. And they were like, oh, well, good luck to finding them. <laughs> and it's quite hard to find uh, people in, in real life, like knowing them in real life and having that role models as well. So how did you guys meet and what was the environment back then? <laughs> Well, we literally met um, at, at Xavier University. Brian, we were in the same graduate program, healthcare administration. Brian was a year ahead of me. I came on campus for my interview and a, the student interview and tour. And Brian was the person that actually gave me the tour of the university. Um, and then I started in the, that fall um, on campus and Brian was still there even though he's a year ahead of me, he was still there on campus. So we overlapped by a semester and we literally met each other. We knew each other, we would say hi to each other. Um, and then he moved to Philadelphia. Um, and a year later, I moved to Philadelphia and started working at the same hospital. And that's when we started, we became friends. Um, we started hanging out. Uh, and that was in Northeast Philadelphia. And we then decided that we both wanted to live in Center City where the action was, so to speak. Um, so we moved to Center City, Philadelphia as roommates. And uh, when we moved in as roommates, Brian was dating a female nurse. And, um, oh, uh, and, interesting. And, I need to ask more questions about that. <laughs> and we were literally roommates and then Shortly after being roommates, uh, the relationship progressed. <laughs> okay, okay, and, uh, hold on. There's so many questions there. <laughs> so when you first met, I, I suppose you guys were in your 20s in, in grad school. Yes. yes. And then you guys just met each other as like straight bros and straight friends, right, <laughs> I assume. Like how, how did it all unfold and became, you know, more than that? <laughs> Doug asks me that question has asked me that question over the years himself. Um, 
so yeah, so when we met, I was actually dating women. Um, and I will tell you, you know, it just, I was dating women, it, you know, and I was thought I was happy and it seemed like the right thing to do. You know, when you grow up in a family and area where the idea is you, you know, you go to high school, you go to college, you become a professional, you get married to a woman, you have kids. So that's sort of ingrained in you. And at some point along the line, that just didn't feel right. Um, and I literally, Doug and I were friends um, in the beginning, um, but there was a connection there. And I can't always explain or always verbalize that connection to others, but it just felt different. Um, so we moved in in January. And I think by May, we went on our first vacation together. Um, that was romantic. So um, it progressed oh. rather rapidly um, from there. Yeah. And at, at that time, I was still, you know, I was completely in the closet. I was struggling with my sexual identity um, and, you know, trying to, I, I sort of realized, you know, who I was and that I was gay, but I was still struggling to sort of, you know, rationalize that or, you know, accept it, I guess. And I was very much still in the closet. And like I said, we were roommates. We worked at the same hospital together. We worked together. We would go out and have, you know, a beer after work. And um, and then that May, we, we said, oh, let's go on a trip. And so we planned this trip and we, we and, and it was to St. Martin. And um, Brian made the arrangements through a travel agent friend of his. And we get there and we check into the hotel and there was one bed. <laughs> And I was oh, like, wow. oh, wow. So that was the, <laughs> that was a plan. And I was like, oh, and um, we had some, you know, um, so it was, a, it was a great vacation. There was a lot of sexual tension during that vacation, but not really any, nothing really happened. But then when we got back home about a week later, um, and that's when, you know, we realized we were more than friends. Interesting. And, and Brian, at that time, were you dating the nurse at that time, the female nurse? I believe I was. And <laughs> I have to tell you, you know, and I think it's interesting. Um, did I? Okay. Doug reminds me that I did break up with the nurse before we went oh, okay. to St. Martin. I can't remember the exact time. <laughs> and I'm serious. It's, that was 30 years ago. Um, but, you know, I can tell you, you know, once, you know, I kissed Doug, um, kissing a man, I was like, wow, this isn't like kissing a woman. This, there was something electrifying. There was something affirmative. Um, I knew that this was right. And so whatever I had been struggling with in the past was clear in my mind that this made me happy. This was exciting. This felt right. Um, and then it just progressed from there. I guess Amazing. I'm just a really good kisser. I, I guess so. You know, it was that, <laughs> that kiss that worked out, you know? So I guess what I'm hearing is that, you know, maybe it's not always the dating apps that brought people together. Sometimes maybe it's your, so to speak, straight uh, flatmate or, or best yeah. friend that it was turned into a gay or same-sex relationship over there. Um, so you, when you guys met, it was in 19... 19... 89 and you started dating in 1992 
what was society back then in terms of the attitude to homosexuals and how was families because you guys were both from a farming community right you yeah. must have to overcome so much you know challenges and uh, you know the attitude from family and friends so how was it like that it, it was um we stayed very much in the closet for a long time um we you know we worked as healthcare executives um which is a very conservative uh area and um uh you know this was long before there was any representation of you know good representation of gays on tv or gay couples or any shows and you know this was a um a very different time period and you know people didn't um it, you know i think we both sort of struggled with you know coming out and being out um we we didn't want to be out in the workforce we were worried about that um and you know i don't think we have, you know we lived as roommates for years and people you know some people some people caught on but believe it or not a lot of people didn't and um yeah it, you know it was it was probably five six years later before i officially came out to my own family um i see so that was in your 30s at that time yeah, like late late 20 29 30 31 so in there Got it. um and really, you know, the whole coming out process was, um, you know, partly driven by, you know, we wanted obviously to be get to be together, and like I can remember the holiday times, you know, like Christmas time, he would go home to his family, I'd go home to my family, and we did that for several years, and then finally we looked at each other and said, you know, we we want to be together on Christmas, so we made this arrangement where we would both go to his family's then fly on christmas as roommates and fly on christmas day to to go see my family um and then one christmas while we were at his parents uh they confronted him <laughs> okay but i think i think it's important for the listeners to understand that you know in the late 80s, the AIDS epidemic was just really progressing. Um, and, you know, that made it a challenging time because if you were thought to be a gay man, then you were going to get HIV, AIDS, and die. And I think that that was a, you know, a stereotype or a misperception of the straight community at that time. So, you know, I struggled, you know, you know, I knew that Doug was the right person for me. Um, you know, we had went through times in our relationship of looking for different jobs and where we're going to move apart. And, you know, I knew it was the right relationship for me. Um, and we stuck it through, but to come out would have just added additional pressure and stress. And, you know, um, you know, people can judge that as being why weren't you strong enough to come out? You know, you knew you were living with another man. Um, but the perception and the pressures and the acceptance just wasn't there. Yeah, certainly. And I think this is really worth calling out as in 
you know, I, I live in Ireland and I have a lot of friends from, you know, maybe Eastern Europe or in Asia that, or even Latin America, where the societies may not be very accepting to homosexuals still to this day in 2022. So, you know, gay marriage is still not legal in most parts of the world. So I think what you experienced in the US back in the 80s and 90s is still kind of being experienced currently in 2022. So, so and it sounds like you had to kind of deal with a lot of, uh, shame and guilt like within yourself is and you have to kind of first overcome that before you can embrace and coming out to your family and society how do you have the courage to overcome all that shame and uh you know and, and have self-love and practice self-confidence to to kind of be living the life that you wanted at that time you know i think to sort of highlight what brian had just said a little earlier is you know, we basically came of age, we're the generation that came of age it, during the height of the AIDS crisis in the United States, where, you know, everything you saw on the news was negative and bad and, you know, people were dying. And, you know, so as, as young men coming to age, like it was scary to have sex as a gay man because you, you know, it, 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 it you know, and, and to put yourself out there. Um, there was so much, you know, more stereotyping in that, but, you know, and just as we, you know, matured and got older and were got more secure with our own relationship and our own identities, um, you know, you just realize this is who I am and I have to live my life who I am and live it to the, uh, to the fullest. Um, and, you know, as I sort of mentioned earlier, once we made the decision to have children, then like the doors, the closet doors broke open and we were, you know, out to all our family, friends, we were out in the workplace. There was nobody that didn't know because we're like, we can't raise children and bring children up if we're hiding our true identity. Um, and, yeah. you know, so that was a very affirming uh, process. And I also think, you know, as Brian said earlier, there was, you know, we both grew up in these small rural communities where there was no gay role models. There was like, I didn't know anyone gay. I mean, there were gay people in my community, I found out years later, but like there was no out gay people. Um, and, you know, to, to we didn't have those sort of role models to see even on like TV or, or, or that sort of thing. I so, mean, yeah. social media didn't exist there. There wasn't Instagram, there wasn't Facebook. I mean, I didn't have a cell phone until the early 90s, which is five years after we met, you know, yeah. so um, the, the, you know, the information out there is so different, you know, exactly. if I went to a high school event, you know, we didn't have cell phones then there was a pay phone at the school if you wanted to call someone to pick you up for a ride. So it's just a very different world in terms of oh, communication. Sure. Definitely. Then I heard that people some, sometimes they say in order to be loved and to love other people, you have to first practice self-love. It sounds like that's kind of what you were talking about, where you have to live authentically and knowing who you are and really embracing yourself first before you can come out to other people. Do you think it's true and true to your, both of you? I do, without a doubt. You have to believe in yourself and love yourself. Um, and once you're at that point, you're like, this is who you are. This is me. Um, it took me a long time um, to get to that point. And it's who I am, you know, and, and 
If you don't like that, that's on you and that's not on me now. There's no guilt, there's no shame. Um, I yeah. was made this way and I think everyone needs to understand that. Um, you know, it's frustrating. I still hear it's a choice. You hear that in different parts of the world. It's not a choice. We're made this way and it's okay. Um, and accept us, accept me, accept my lover. If not, move on, you know? So it's really kind of acknowledging the fact that this is me and I can't change it. So you rather really embrace yourself and celebrate it and then come forward and really be the change that you want to see in the world, right? Yes. And, you know, once we did that and, you know, then we became very involved in LGBTQ rights and equality and, you know, things like that. <laughs> so, um, it, but it was, it was just about, you know, accepting ourselves first. And then even for me, after I accepted who I, you know, this was me and this is who I was going to be, um, it was then getting the courage to tell your family and friends because, you know, there's that underlying fear that people are going to walk away from you, you know, that they're going to not love you anymore because of who you are. And, you know, fortunately with my family, they were very accepting and very loving and um, very, you know, I, re I remember when I finally told my father, um, my, mother, my, my mother had passed by then. And I finally told my father and I had wanted to do it in person, but it didn't work out. He was in Florida. So I, it was over the phone and I'm like, I need, I need to tell you something. And I, you know, I tell him and he's like, well, I'm glad you finally told me I've known. How's the weather? <laughs> like, oh my it was, God. It was like That's so amazing. uneventful. <laughs> um, but know, at the it's same really time, the leading up that was like more scary yes. right? sometimes than like the actual, did you right. know that he will accept it so well? Um, I, I assumed so, but okay, you know, good. you have those lingering doubts in the back of your head and, yeah. you know, um, my family's a very accepting family in a lot of different ways. And so, you know, they, they have been very supportive, um, uh, uh, you know, throughout all of this. Got it. What about you, Brian? How was coming out? Um, I think for me, it was a little bit harder. Um, and I think for a couple reasons. Um, when I moved from where I, where I grew up and my parents to Philadelphia, that was an escape to me. Um, I, I just was like, just needed to get away to a large urban environment and be on my own. Um, but I don't see that my family and parents per se saw it that way. Um, you know, they were thinking I would probably go away for a job and come back at some point. Um, and so their perceptions of me was a straight man living in Philadelphia for a short period of time, um, where my perceptions at the time was, wow, I had moved away from this farming community. I moved to a large urban area that was more liberal, lots of diversity in lots of different ways. And so when it became time to have the conversation, um, it wasn't as direct um, because I knew their perceptions were different than where my reality was, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, so then when we finally had the conversation, I will say it was my parents' inquiry as to me and what I was doing that forced some of the conversation. Um, and then, you know, I remember having a conversation with my mother about it. 
Um, and again, it was very devastating in one aspect, I think, in her mind, because it was the AIDS epidemic. And, oh, you're, you, you have a lover, um, you know, you're going to die of AIDS now. And it's really not true, but there are beliefs and perceptions out there. Um, so it was an evolution process of education on my part. But I think what really burst the door open for me was Doug and I said we were going to have a family. I always envisioned having a big family with kids, you know, the, the beautiful house, the white picket fence, the dog, the cat, the children. Um, that was my vision. And that's what I was wanting. And so I met Doug and I'm like, well, we're still going to do that. But it's just he and I. It's two guys and not a man and a woman. Um, and so when I reached that point, it was like, I needed to burst that door open. And anyone who asked, I said, yes, I'm gay. Yes, Doug is my lover. Yes, we're having children. Um, and just didn't skip a beat. But it took a long time for me internally to get to that point. Yeah. And how do you find the courage to do that? Because I assume back in the 90s, when you were having thinking about having kids, like, there must be no role models that you can look up to. And then there was no gay marriage back then. So the legality was more complex and you had to figure out a lot about that, that stuff. And, and that is the case for many people to this date in 2022 in certain countries and certain societies where there's not many role models. What advice would you give to people who live in a society who have very no have no role models for them to look up to look up to, but they are looking to have a family and would really love to have kids? Yeah, so you know, I would first start by you know kind of just backing up a little bit and say, similar to what Brian said, you know, as a kid growing up and in high school, you know, I also you know it was ingrained to have this dream of you know having a, a wife and the the, the house and the picket fence and the kids and part of accepting who I was as being gay was me giving up that quote unquote good American dream, you know, coming to terms with, oh, I'm never going to get married. Oh, I can't have kids. And, you know, here I am married with kids, <laughs> you know, but because there was no role models, there was no, you know, you didn't see gay men having children. And I can remember it. Um, like it, you know, like it was yesterday, sitting in our house, uh, reading an article in the USA Today newspaper about two men who had adopted or, or had become parents. And, and I was like, oh my gosh, it is possible. And that really lit, uh, a, you know, a fire under me in a way. And we spent then we talked about it and then we spent like two years doing research on how we wanted to create a family and how we were going to do this. And, you know, we looked at um, open adoption, international adoption, foster to adopt, um, surrogacy. We looked at all these different venues um, and we started talking to, you know, that's when we also, you know, as a couple, made the decision that we were going to put a ring on it. And um, we got the rings made and we we went to Paris in December 2000 and exchanged our rings. And, you know, we wanted to have that, uh, that commitment to one another, even though it was very private and personal, that this, you know, we're committed to one another, we're going to create a family now. And then 
Um, we had decided on, after looking at all these different options, we had decided on surrogacy. And um, we, ha we had had the very good fortune of um, uh, my being very close to my, my one brother and sister-in-law. And um, my sister-in-law one day offered to be our surrogate. Oh, gestational wow, carrier. And we were, we didn't think it was possible or, or how it was going to work out. And so we started to explore that. And, you know, so this was like 2000, 2001, because our oldest daughter was born in 2002. And we started to explore this and, and figure it out. And we we wanted to do surrogacy. We knew that, but we didn't need a surrogacy agency. You know, we had um, a gestational carrier. We knew we wanted an anonymous egg donor. And, you know, so we started, I called IVF centers in Philadelphia, you know, Center City, Philadelphia, progressive area. And none of them had worked with a gay couple before. And they were like, I'll have to call you back. We have to talk to our medical director. We've never done that. And, you know, it took like, and then finally, we found an IVF center that was like, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll be happy to do that. We have never done it with a gay couple before, but we're happy to work with you. Come on in. And then we, you know, use their anonymous egg donor program. And then even though my uh, sister-in-law and uh, brother, you know, were, were um, a part of this for us, we did want to make sure we had a surrogacy agreement, um, a contract. So we tried to find a lawyer in Philadelphia. Now, lawyers in Philadelphia are a dime a dozen. You know, there's one on every corner. Um, we could not, it was every lawyer we talked to said, oh, you have to go to California. Oh, you have to go to California. We're like, we don't want to go to California. We live here in Philadelphia. We want to do this here. And finally, we found this amazing lawyer. Um, she was so helpful. And she's like, I've never written a surrogacy contract, but we'll figure it out. And she did. Um, and we wrote a a contract and um uh my sister-in-law for her own medical reasons she had to have a c-section um they lived in central pennsylvania we lived in philadelphia and at the time uh second parent adoption was put on hold um in pennsylvania some of the more liberal counties like pennsylvania uh, philadelphia were allowing second parent adoption for mostly lesbian couples at the time, but for LGBTQ couples and other more conservative counties weren't. And it worked its way up to like the state Supreme Court and everybody put it on hold. So then we had to find a, uh, we were told to have the baby born in New Jersey. So then we had to find an OB uh, physician in New Jersey that was willing to do a C-section on a patient that they didn't do the prenatal care on. <laughs> So like we, fortunately we were both in healthcare, you know, administration, but we were able to manage the medical parts of it. Um, and that worked out fine. It was the legal, we, the trouble we had continued to run into was the legal trouble. Um, but yeah, so basically I got my brother's wife pregnant and uh, we're still <laughs> on speaking terms. <laughs> Oh my goodness, that, that's a, how a lot of challenges that you had to go through. And it's really like getting into the uncharted territory. Where did you find the conviction that 
you could make this happen and have the confidence that you could go through it. Because you know, this is the reality many face many people face. Like here, here in Europe, I know the surrogacy laws are actually not very clear. Uh, a lot of times that uh, you can't hire someone to uh, go through surrogacy. Yeah. A lot of people do it internationally. So they have to really go through, you know, a lot of the uncharted territory. Where do you kind of find the conviction and confidence back then? Um, I think it's pretty simple. It's love. It's just love. Um, pure and simple. You know, we love each other. This is what was important. And this is the way you share your love is you create a family, you have children, um, you know, all along that process, people were like, you can't do this, or you haven't been able to do it, or we've never done that before, or they would say, oh, I think we can help you. And then you'd get that interesting call a week or two later that just said, I can't help you. And you they wouldn't tell you why, but you sort of knew why they had decided that this was a gay couple they weren't mm. going to help. Um, I guess that just instilled more conviction in me because I'm kind of the type of person, and Doug is too, you tell me I can't do something or that sort of instills more strength in me because I can and uh, I will and we will. Um, and so we just kept continuing until we found, you know, physicians that would help, lawyers that would help, a hospital that would help, a family member that would help, and we pieced it all together. Um, and I absolutely have no regrets. I, I just cherish every moment of this. The, the, the doing it was hard. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'd come home some days frustrated and think, why am I doing this? But it comes back to love. I, we have a beautiful family. Yeah, I, I mean, so I it's think like it's... A... Yeah, go ahead. So it's like, don't give up. That is really kind of the strategy over there. So let, let us, I'd love to kind of dive deeper into the challenges because one of the listeners were telling me that, hey, like, I, I don't want to hear just positive news from these gay couples and uh, LGBTQ couples. It sounds like they got everything right and then they figure everything out. But like, you know, a lot of people still struggle to maintain a relationship, right? It's hard to start a relationship, but like after that, maintaining it could be hard as well. So what are the biggest challenges you guys as a couple faced in terms of maintaining a relationship? Well, I, I think the first and foremost is neither one of us are the same person we were 30 years ago. We've grown, we've developed, we've changed. Um, we've changed careers, we've changed jobs, we've changed interests, we've changed hobbies. Um, so, you know, I think um, you have to go into a relationship realizing that as individuals, you're going to grow and develop and you're going to be different people. Um, and you, you need to support one another. And as a couple, you know, if you are supporting each other, you'll grow and develop as a couple and as a unit. Um, you know, sure, there's been challenges, um, you know, uh, from time to time, you know, like any couple who are married and together, we have our moments, you know, <laughs> um, uh, you know, whether it's been particularly stressful times when, you know, you're raising kids or trying to figure out the finances um, or making big career decisions and you know, where you might be a little bit at odds, you know, um, but I never thought that, you know, you, you guys are not perfect for each other at a certain point that you might know this, 
may not work out. No, never thought like like <laughs> okay, it, good. I, I we've had our I mean, not that we couldn't make it work out. We've had our struggles. I think the as Doug said, the point is is you gotta realize you're growing and developing as your partner's growing and developing. And you've got to be willing to change too. And you know, and I guess at some point may people may reach the point of this isn't okay, but that's never been for us. You know, I tell this, tell folks, they'll ask me, are you still happy after 29 years? And I'm like, I'm happier now than I was 29 years ago. Um, I couldn't be more lucky, um, but I'm not near the same person either. You know, we both have different jobs right now than we started out with. We have different interests. We do different things after work. We have kids now that have turned our lives upside down. Um, but I love doing that. But you got to be flexible and you want to, you have to want to change with your lover along the way, with your partner. Um, you want to see them happy and you've got to be happy with it. I, I love that. It sounds like 20, 30 years ago, you really didn't know where this relationship would be going, what the interest would be, where you'd be having you know, how many kids you'll be having, but you have to really grow and adjust and be flexible along the way. When you met each other, did you know that was the right one for the rest of your life? At what point do you know that was the right person? You know, we, we became, we were best friends when we decided to move in and become roommates. And then we were roommates. And, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for falling in love with your best friend. <laughs> um, you know, um, it, it, you know, I can't, I can't say that it was like love at first sight. Um, it was, you know, it, it was, we're best, you know, we're friends. We became best friends. We enjoyed being together. We kept, and we would spend more and more time together and, you know, it was, and have conversations and do things together. And it was that, that, sort of then built the relationship um, to take it to the next level. Um, and, you know, one thing that, you know, I, I write a lot of times in, you know, like the Valentine's card or a birthday card to him is, you know, um, you know, every day I love you more than the day before or, or some sort of sentiment like that. You know, it, it's hard for me to imagine that 30 years later here that, I actually feel like I love him more than I did 30 years ago. Like it just keeps building and compounding and, um, uh, it, but you know, not to say we haven't had arguments and we haven't had fights and we haven't had disagreements along the way. Um, we, you know, but we've, you know, we've managed to work those out and sit down and talk through them and work through them and have discussions about them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's not, and I think your listeners, not only we're committed, but then we're not perfect either. And, and as Doug said, we've had, you know, those great times, but at the end of the day, I like him. I love him as a person. I'm attracted to him and that keeps us together. I'm interested. He has an interest in me. Um, but during the conflicts, I will tell you, or, you know, misunderstandings or whatnot, we, we've learned and adapted as to how we resolve those conflicts. 
You know, mm. I'm a type of guy that I need to resolve it now. Like this is bothering me. This is bothering you. I want to talk about this now and we have to resolve this now. Doug is more of self-reflective, what's going through my mind. He needs a day or two to process it if it's a, a major event. And so we've learned how to deal with that as a couple. I may say, I really need to deal with this now. He, he will, instead of walking away and not talking about it, say, I hear what you're saying, but I need a moment. I need X time. And so we've developed how we, even in those conflict periods, how to resolve that. Him saying not now, I know to interpret as we'll come back to that. He's not avoiding mm. it. He's not saying I'm unimportant. He's actually acknowledging it's important to me, but just not this second. And I have in the conflict now have been able to say, okay, that makes sense. Because at the end in a conflict, you want acknowledgement. And so you can come back to it, whether it's small, minor or significant. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. So it sounds like you really to understand your partner and adjust and learn <laughs> and adjust your communication strategy for, for the other person. But, you know, you must have met some couple, straight or gay or LGBTQ, that they thought they married their best friend and they thought it will all work out. But then, you know, sometimes it didn't work out. And I have friends who are going for, through a divorce. They thought they married the love of their life and they were the best friends. What do you think that you guys, you know, set, us, you, set you guys apart from the other people? What made it work compared to the other couples? Yeah, I mean, we certainly know straight couples, gay couples, um, lesbian couples that, you know, weren't able to keep the relationship together and did, you know, separate um, or divorce or, um, you know, it, it happens to everyone regardless of your sexual orientation. Um, it can happen to anybody, regardless of sexual orientation. I, you know, I'm not sure what makes us unique. I mean, a lot of, it's interesting over the years, a lot of people have told us that, you know, we're like a role model couple for them. Um, and part of it, I do think comes back to what I said earlier is first and foremost, we were best friends. You know, we wanted to be together. Like we wanted to spend time together. We wanted to hang out with each other. Um, and I think, you know, beyond that is just that compromise and understanding that um, we're none, none of us are going to be static in who we are, either as an individual or a couple. And, you know, we have to help each other grow and change. And sometimes that's hard. And sometimes, you know, things change in a way that you didn't foresee. Um, and that can be great. Um, or it could be not so great. And even sometimes when it's great, it can be stressful because it's new and it's different. And so I think just managing that. And I think the other thing that we have always done is even though we do have children and we love our children and we do wonderful things with them, we've always made time for us as a couple, whether mm. it's as simple as having a date night whether it's as simple as him and I getting away for a weekend getaway without the kids. Um, you know, I have to be honest, I, I have looked around and I know I have friends and people I know that, you know, they've been in a long-term relationship, um, married, they have kids, and then the kids are grown up and gone and the couple looks at each other and they're like, I don't know who you are type of, you know what I'm saying? Like, 
they grew yeah. apart somewhere in there in raising a family. And, you know, and I think if any, you know, we've grown more together in our effort to raise a family. And maybe partly that's because of the obstacles that we had to overcome together to create this family. You know, one thing about gay and lesbian families, there's no accidental kids along the way. Yeah. Um, it's they're well-planned, thought-out families. <laughs> Definitely. Um, they, so, you know, I, I think, you know, that's my thoughts anyway. Yeah, so it's really being like flexible and grow along with the other partner and also, but also being thoughtful and also spending time and kind of cultivating their relationship as well. I think a lot of listeners have not met uh, LGBTQ couples who have been dating for close to 30 years. Can you give us a, like a glimpse into the relationship? How does that involve, evolve from like, you know, first few years and then five years, 10 years, 20 years and 30 years? How, what are the challenges that kind of evolved and changes over time? And how was it like dating or, or being in a relationship after 30 years? Do you think it's any different from straight couples like people's aunts and uncles and parents? I, I mean, I think, you know, part of your question was how did we change or how's the relationship changed over the years? I would say in the early years of a relationship, it was, you know, it, it was still sort of figuring out is, is this the one, you know, okay. is, is there a real, you know, is this the one I'm going to be committed to? And in the very early years, and, you know, it was, we, we, you know, we're best friends, we became roommates, we became lovers, like, is now this really the one? And then once that w was, you know, yes, it was, we, we have identified that. And then it's, um, you know, we were young professionals, so we were supporting each other with our careers. Um, and then it was the focus on the family um, and raising kids and, you know, Brian, we both changed careers during that process. And so I think there was always something to keep us moving and, and to, to, to push us forward. I see. So I mean, it sounds like these live events kind of kept it fresh, like, you know, changing career, changing locations and then having kids like that just kind of created new things for you guys to tackle and enjoy an experience together. Right, it was the joint experience. I mean, early on when we met, we would plan what's, you know, what are we going to do after work? What are we going to do this weekend? What concert are we going to go see? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it wasn't so much what that activity was. I think it was us doing it together and we had a mutual interest and we would find those things. Um, and those just mutual activities have changed over the years. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, I think a healthy relationship involves, we also have other interests that we do things on our own. You know, um, Doug is a very active runner, has been for years. And so doing half marathons, those take hours and he's doing his thing. I'm not interested in running whatsoever. So, but that brings him enjoyment. And so I say, go do that. Um, embrace that exercise or physical activity. You know, I have, other things, you know, like I may go to yoga, like today I'm going to go to yoga um, for an hour and a half. I have really enjoyed doing that. Doug doesn't have an interest, but that re-energizes me to do something. So I think for the listeners, it's a couple of things. It's you have to find common things you want to do together. And that builds that strength and commitment. 
but also the appreciation that other that your partner may not want to do exactly the same thing and that's okay too does that make yeah, sense definitely but also encouraging them and like allowing them to do yeah. it so that they have their personal life and i feel like the space between people also kind of create things to talk about like oh what, what do you do and you know yes. some excitements about that as well isn't it exactly exactly i mean um, he can so come fine. home and tell me about whatever it is he did for his day which is different than mine which is interesting incredible so i know, I know we're almost at time i'd love to just ask you some closing thoughts any tips about uh, for for people who are really looking to start a relationship do you think that actually you know can you look for love or do you think love just comes to you at, at times that you may not expect because it sounds like when you guys met each other it wasn't like you were looking for a relationship at that point right yeah i mean i i do somewhat believe in the concept of a soulmate and uh you know i was lucky to find my soulmate and brian um and you know our our world's came together. Um, and, you know, I, I think also, you know, um, you know, I have no experience with dating apps. I've never used one. I've never seen one. I've, you know, um, and, you know, I think there's so much focus on these days on social media and, you know, dating apps and, you know, find ways to connect with people in real life um one-on-one -on -one, you know like or in groups you know but you know join a, a group you know there's like gay running groups there's you know um uh you know different groups and you know that's ways to find people as well yeah i think that and i would echo that what doug is saying is is you know we grew up in the generation without those social media apps as i alluded to earlier um, and I would encourage folks to get off those apps and go and try and meet people in activities that they enjoy and they like to do that may have similar interests. Um, um, Cause you wanna know the person, you gotta know who they are and what, and you're not gonna see that via the Instagram post or Facebook or the, you know, dating apps. Um, those are perfect pictures um they're presenting those perfect facades what you want to know is what's behind that facade and you got to meet people to do that got it so it's like branching out and try to get out there in person meeting people feeling and understanding them deeply as so, well and finding the soulmate as well too to what doc says so maybe they once become uh your your flatmates and you know maybe your straight flatmate with exactly. your gay husband in the future. <laughs> what about people who are, exactly? What about people who are maintaining a relationship? Who you know, Doug, you were saying that in the first few years you were still thinking about is that person the right person? Like, what are people who, who are listening? Some of them might be thinking about that. Like, is this the right person? Should I be spending time and energy on that? How do you kind of overcome that and maintain a successful and long-term happy relationship? Any tips over there? Yeah, I, I mean, again, I think it sort of comes back to communication, you know, just being honest and, you know, you know, somewhat early in our relationship, you know, I had a job offer in another city and I was excited about it. And it was shortly after my mother had passed away and I was like, oh, this is a good opportunity just to, you know, go somewhere to, and you know and I was really thinking about this job in another city and while we were in a relationship I 
you know, and, but Brian like sat down and said, you know, told me some true feelings that he hadn't really said in that way before. And I was like, Oh, um, this is serious. <laughs> like this, this, so, so, um, and that made me rethink that. And I didn't take that job and it was probably wasn't a good job to take in the first place. <laughs> so, um, you know, I just think, you know, there's going to be those points of where you're, you know, maybe you're questioning it yourself or, or whatever. It's just, again, to sort of sit down and have conversations and be honest and talk about it. What about you, Brian? Any uh, thoughts over there? I would just echo what Doug said. I think at some point, you know, if you are in a relationship and it doesn't make sense, communicate that. Meaning, you know, I would communicate as to what you're thinking and your thoughts are. Maybe there's misinterpretation. Maybe the one person has been interpreting something that's not correct. And so we, we again have to not text always or email or whatever that is and look at each other and, you know, communicate, use your words as, you know, I, that sounds like a parent there. When I say <laughs> use your words, I'm sorry, but, you know, actually get your feelings out, say what's inside you and, you know, um, and talk it through and, and then you'll know whether it's the right person or not the right person, but start the conversation. It may be hard to start it, but start the conversation. I love it. I love it. You guys have taught us so much today. You begin by, you know, being open-minded and grow with your partner, being flexible and then accept, you know, having personal space and shared interests, soulmate, uh, and communication, obviously, as well. Any final tips and thoughts before we close out? It's very possible to have long-term relationships, both as, a, you know, in the straight world and in the gay world. And um, you just it does take some work and you, you know, you have to want to want to do that work and you have to want to cultivate a relationship. So I, I, my final remarks will be is Hilton, will you uh, interview us when we're 50 years together? Definitely. Definitely. I'll keep the line open. I'll make sure I set a reminder. <laughs> All right. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. All right. Thank you. Thank you. What a powerful story. What stands out the most in my conversation with them is their deep conviction, as they believe in each other and the importance of being themselves and in the possibility of making their gay relationship work despite having no role models in an environment that was not welcoming to gay people. Although it was difficult to be openly gay both in their professional and personal lives, they were not held back from achieving their dreams. In fact, Hearing no only made them more determined. As Brian says, you have to love yourself, recognize who you are. They made a conscious choice to reject guilt and say, this is who I am, accept me, I'm my lover, and if not, just move on. You may be living in a community that is still homophobic in 2022. You may not see role models who look like you and are living openly. I hope Doug and Brian's story can provide you with a glimpse of hope. If you like this show, please share it with your friends in the LGBTQ community who might find it helpful as well. We'll also appreciate it if you can review it on your podcast platform. Also, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode as well. You can do so by leaving a comment or sending us a message on Instagram. Hey you, 
Are you miserable in your love life? Just kidding. If you do know someone in the LGBTQ community whose love life has been in lockdown for a long time and are looking for a reopening, please share this podcast with them. If this podcast has made you laugh, think, or oddly turned you on, please leave a positive review to help more people discover the show. You know, to turn more people on. And don't forget to subscribe to get the latest goodness. And if you know anyone we should interview in the show, please email rainbowpajamascrew at gmail.com. That's C-R-E-W at gmail.com. Or send us a message on Instagram. Our handle is rainbowpajamas underscore. We're always looking for people in this diverse community who are in various types of intimate relationships or at different stages of their lives. Okay, that's it for today. This is Rainbow Pajamas. Hey, it's pajamas with an A, not Y.